Chapter 41 of The Pharaoh and the Priest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. The Pharaoh and the Priest by Boleslaw Prus. Translated by Jeremiah Curtin. Chapter 41, Part 1. By advice of astrologers, the headquarters were to move from Pi Bast on the seventh day of Hator. For that day was good, good, good. Gods in heaven and men on earth rejoiced at the victory of Ra over his enemies. Whoever came into the world on that day was destined to die at an advanced age, surrounded by reverence. That was a favorable day for pregnant women and people trading in woven stuffs, but for toads and mice it was evil. From the moment that he was appointed commander, Rameses rushed to work feverishly. He received each regiment as it arrived. He inspected its weapons, its train, and its clothing. He greeted the recruits and encouraged them to diligent exercise at drilling, to the destruction of their enemies and the glory of the pharaoh. He presided at every military council. He was present at the examination of every spy, and in proportion as tidings were brought in, he indicated on the map with his own hand the movement of Egyptian armies and the positions of the enemy. He passed so swiftly from place to place that they looked for him everywhere, and still he swooped on them suddenly like a falcon. In the morning he was on the south of Pi Bast and verified the list of provisions. An hour later he was north of the city and discovered that a hundred and fifty men were lacking in the Ayyub regiment. In the evening he overtook the advance guard, and was at the crossing of an arm of the Nile, and passed in review two hundred war chariots. The holy Mentezufus, who, as a representative of Herhor, understood the military art well, was overcome by astonishment. "'Ye know,' said he to Sem and Mephris, "'that I do not like the heir to the throne, for I have discovered his perversity and malice.' but Osiris be my witness that the young man is a born leader. I will tell you a thing unparalleled. We shall concentrate our forces on the border three or four days earlier than it was possible to expect. The Libyans have lost the war already, though they have not heard the whistle of our arrows. So much the worse is such a pharaoh for us, interposed Mephris, with the stubbornness peculiar to old men. Toward evening, the sixth of Hator, Prince Rameses bathed and informed his staff that they would march on the morrow, two hours before sunrise. And now I wish to sleep, said he. To wish for sleep was easier than to get it. The whole city was swarming with warriors. At the palace of the prince a regiment had encamped, which had no thought of rest, but was eating, drinking, and singing. The prince went to the remotest chamber, but even there he could not undress. Every few minutes some adjutant flew in with a report of no moment, or for an order in questions which could have been settled on the spot by the commander of a regiment. Spies were led in who brought no new information. Great lords with small followings were announced. These wished to offer their services to the prince as volunteers. Phoenician merchants broke in on him. These wanted contracts for the army or were contractors who complained of the extortion of generals. Even soothsayers and astrologers were not lacking, who in the last hours before marching wished to draw his horoscope for the viceroy. 
There were even practicers of the black art who wished to sell unfailing amulets against missiles. These people simply broke into the prince's chamber. Each one of them judged that the fate of the expedition was in his hands, and that in such a case every etiquette should vanish. The heir satisfied all applicants patiently. But when behind an astrologer one of his own women pushed into the room with complaint that Rameses did not love her, since he had not taken farewell, and when a quarter of an hour later the weeping of another was heard outside the window, the heir could no longer endure. He summoned Tutmosis. "'Sit in this room,' said he, "'and if thou wish, console the women of my household. I will hide somewhere in the garden.' If not, I shall not sleep, and to-morrow I shall look like a hen just pulled out of a cistern. Where am I to seek thee in case of need? asked Tutmosis. Aho, ho! laughed the heir. Seek me nowhere. I shall appear of myself when the trumpet is sounded. And throwing over his shoulders a long mantle with a hood, he slipped out to the garden. Through the garden were prowling soldiers, kitchen boys, and other servants. In the whole space about the palace order had disappeared, as usual before an expedition. Noting this, Rameses turned to the densest part of the park, found a little arbor formed of grapevines, and threw himself on a bench satisfied. Here neither priests nor women will find me, muttered the viceroy. He fell asleep immediately and slept like a stone. Kama had felt ill for some days. To her irritation was joined some peculiar weakness and pain in the joints. There was an itching of her face, but especially of her forehead above the eyebrows. These minute symptoms seemed to her so alarming that she ceased to dread assassination, but straightway she sat down before a mirror and told her servants to withdraw and leave her. At such times she thought neither of Rameses nor the hated Sarah, all her attention was fixed on those spots which an untrained eye would not have even noticed. A spot, yes, these are spots, whispered she, full of terror. Two, three, oh, Astaroth, but thou wilt not punish thy priestess in this way. Death would be better. But again, what folly! If I rub my forehead, the spots will be redder. Evidently something has bitten me, or I have used impure oil in anointing. I will wash, and the spots will be gone by to-morrow. The morrow came, but the spots had not vanished. Kama called a servant. Listen, said she, look at me. But as she spoke, she sat down in a less lighted part of the chamber. Listen and look, said she in a stifled voice. Dost thou see spots on my face? But come no nearer. I see nothing, answered the serving woman. Neither under my left eye nor on my brows, asked she with growing irritation. Let the lady be pleased graciously to sit with the side of her face to the light, said the woman. Of course that request enraged Kama. Away, wretch, cried she, show thyself no more to me. When the serving woman fled, her mistress rushed feverishly to the dressing table opened two little toilet jars, and with a brush painted her face rose color. Toward evening, feeling continual pain in her joints and fear in her heart, which was worse than pain, she commanded to call a physician. When they told her that the physician had come, she looked in the mirror and was seized by a new attack, as it were of insanity. 
she threw the mirror to the pavement and cried out with weeping that she did not need the physician during the sixth of hator she ate nothing all day and would see no person when the slave-woman brought in a light after sundown kamal lay on the bed after she had wound herself in a shawl she ordered the slave to go out as quickly as possible then she sat in an armchair at a distance from the lamp and passed some hours in a half-waking stupor there are no spots said she and if there are they are not spots of that kind they are not leprosy oh ye gods cried she throwing herself on the pavement it cannot be that i oh ye gods save me i will go back to the temple i will do lifelong penance i have no spots i have been rubbing my skin for some days that is why it is red again how could i have it has any one ever heard that a priestess and a woman of the heir to the throne could have leprosy oh ye gods that never has happened since the world began only fishermen prisoners and vile jews oh that low jewess heavenly powers oh send down leprosy to her at that moment some shadow passed by the window on the first story then a rustle was heard and from the door to the middle of the room sprang in lykon kamal was amazed she seized her head suddenly and in her eyes immense terror was depicted lykon whispered she thou here lykon be off they are searching for thee i know answered the greek with a jeering laugh all the phoenicians are hunting me and all the police of his holiness still i am with thee and i have been in thy lord's chamber wert thou with the prince yes in his own bedchamber and i should have left a dagger in his breast if the evil spirits had not saved him evidently he went to some other woman not to thee what dost thou wish here whispered kama flee but with thee on the street a chariot is ready for us on this we shall ride to the nile and there my boat is in waiting thou hast gone mad but the city and the streets are filled with warriors for that very reason i was able to enter this palace and we can escape very easily collect all thy treasures i shall be back here immediately and take thee whither art thou going i am seeking thy lord i shall not go without leaving him a memento thou art mad be silent interrupted lykon pale from anger thou wishest yet to defend him the phoenician woman tottered she clenched her fists and an evil light flashed in her eyes but if thou canst not find him then i will kill one of his sleeping warriors i will set fire to the palace do i know what i shall do but i will not go without leaving a memento the great eyes of the phoenician woman had such a ghastly look that the greek was astonished what is the matter with thee asked lykon nothing listen thou hast never been so like the prince as to-day hence if thou wish to do a good thing she put her face to his ear and whispered the greek listened in amazement woman said he hades speaks through thee yes suspicion will be turned on him that is better than a dagger said lykon laughing never could i have come on that idea perhaps both would be better no let her live this will be my vengeance what a wicked soul whispered lykon but thou pleasest me we will pay them both in kingly fashion he withdrew to the window and vanished 
Kama leaned out after him, and, forgetting every other thing, listened in a fever. Perhaps a quarter of an hour after the departure of Lykon, at the side of the fig grove, rose the piercing shriek of a woman. It was repeated a couple of times, and then ceased. Instead of the expected delight, terror seized Kama. She fell on her knees and gazed into the dark garden with a wandering stare. Below was heard almost noiseless running. There was a squeak at the pillar in the antechamber, and in the window appeared Lycon again in a dark mantle. He was panting with violence, and his hands trembled. "'Where are thy jewels?' whispered he. "'Let me alone,' replied she. The Greek seized her by the shoulder. "'Wretch! Dost thou not understand that before sunrise they will imprison thee, and will strangle thee a couple of days later?' I am sick. Where are thy jewels? Under the bed. Lycon went to her bedchamber with the light of a lamp. He drew out a heavy casket, threw a mantle over Kama, and pulled her by the arm. Make ready. Where are the doors through which he comes to thee, that lord of thine? Leave me. The Greek bent to her and whispered, Aha! Dost thou think I will leave thee here? I care as much for thee now as I do for a dog that has lost sense of smell. But thou must go with me. Let that lord of thine know that there is a man better than he. He stole a priestess from Astaroth. I take his mistress from the heir of Egypt. I tell thee that I am sick. The Greek drew out a slender blade, and put the point of it to her throat. Kama trembled and whispered, I go. They passed through the secret door to the garden. From the direction of the palace came the noise of warriors kindling fires. Here and there among the streets were lights. From time to time someone in the service of the air passed the pair. At the gate the guard stopped them. "'Who are ye?' "'Thebes,' answered Lycon. Then they went out to the street unhindered, and vanished in the alleys of the foreign quarter. Two days before daybreak drums and trumpets sounded through the city. Tutmosis was lying sunk in deep sleep, when Prince Ramesses pulled his mantle and called, Rise, watchful leader, the regiments are marching. Tutmosis sat up in bed and rubbed his drowsy eyes. Ah, is it thou, lord? asked he, yawning. Hast thou slept? As never before, replied Rameses. But I should like to sleep more. Both bathed, put on their jackets and light mail, then mounted horses, which were tearing away from the equerries. Soon the air, with a small sweep, left the city, and on the way passed slowly moving columns. The Nile had overflowed widely, and the prince wished to be present at the passage of fords and canals. At sunrise the last army chariot was far outside the city, and the worthy nomarch of Hybast said to his servants, I am going to sleep now, and woe to the man who rouses me before the hour of our feast in the evening. Even the divine sun rests when each day is past, while I have not lain down since the first day of Hator. Before he had finished praising his own watchfulness, a police officer entered, and begged for a special hearing in a case of immense importance. Would that the earth had swallowed thee, muttered the worthy nomarch. But still he commanded to summon the officer, and inquired with ill humor, Is it not possible to wait a few hours? The Nile will not run away, as it seems to me. A terrible misfortune has happened, replied the officer. The son of the Erpater is killed. What? Who? cried the nomarch. The son of the Jewess Sarah. Who killed him? When? 
last night. But who could do this? The officer bent his head and spread his arms. I asked who killed him, repeated the nomarch, more astonished than angry. Be pleased, lord, thyself to investigate. My lips will not utter what my ears have heard. The astonishment of the nomarch increased. He gave command to lead in Sarah's servants, and sent for Mephres the high priest. Mentezufus, as representative of the minister of war, had gone with the viceroy. The astonished Mephres came. The nomarch told of the murder of the child, and said that the police official dared not give explanations. But there are witnesses? inquired the high priest. We are waiting for thy commands, holy father. They brought in Sarah's doorkeeper. Hast thou heard, inquired the nomarch, that the child of thy mistress is killed? The man fell to the pavement and answered, I have even seen the worthy remains broken against the wall, and I detained our lady when she ran out to the garden screaming. When did this happen? At midnight, immediately after the most worthy heir came to our lady, answered the watch. How is this? Did the prince visit thy lady last night? inquired Mephres. Thou hast said it, great prophet. This is wonderful, whispered Mephres to the nomarch. The second witness was Sarah's cook, the third her waiting woman. Both declared that after midnight the prince had entered Sarah's chamber, stayed there a while, then run out quickly to the garden, and soon after him appeared Lady Sarah, screaming terribly. But the prince remained all night in his chamber. He did not leave the palace, said the nomarch. The police officer shook his head, and declared that some of the palace servants were waiting in the antechamber. They were summoned, Mephres questioned them, and it appeared that the heir had not slept in the palace. He had left his chamber before midnight and gone to the garden. He returned when the first trumpet sounded. When the witnesses had been let out, and the two dignitaries were alone, the nomarch threw himself on the pavement, and declared to Mephres that he was grievously ill and would rather lose his life than carry on investigations. The high priest was very pale and excited, but he replied that they must clear up a question of murder, and he commanded the nomarch, in the name of the pharaoh, to go with him to Sarah's dwelling. It was not far to the garden of the heir, and the two dignitaries soon found themselves at the place where the crime had been committed. End of chapter 41, part 1. Recording by Dion Giants. Salt Lake City, Utah.